0: Okay, so we still have Jeff not feeling that great. He's uh, he's improving, but he, he just, his energy is not there. So um, he's his plan is to start a, a new class next week. Uh, if not, we'll do something else. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean I will be doing something else, but we will be doing something else. Um, but anyway, last week we spent some time looking at the tabernacle, looking at the furniture in particular. We want to now uh, spend more time looking at the picture that God gives us in the, in the different pieces of furniture and what we can learn and take from that. So let's pray, and uh, we'll jump right into this. Okay, uh, Mark, would you, do you have too much donut to pray? Right, I got it down. All right. Lead <laughs> us, please, sir. Amen. So let's do a quick review for those that weren't here, and if you like me, for those who were here, um, just to be reminded of some things. So with the tabernacle, we saw we last week with the study that we were in, we were particularly looked started from uh, the the inner working out, and then we said today we'll go out going in. So from from the innermost part of the tabernacle, we find the holy of holies. This is where the presence of God was. Uh, literally was, and where man would come and fellowship literally with God uh, through the ministry of the high priest. Then there was the, uh, the veil, and uh, we that was what was used to separate the presence of God from the, from the nation. So in particular here, it would be a veil between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. And in the Holy Place, we find the golden Altar of incense that would continually burn before the presence of the Lord. We're going to talk about that and the significance of it in just a second. We found the golden lampstand, and it was um, it, it was continually lit. So light was always there. Uh, that was one of the duties of the priest, to make sure the oil was in the lamp so that the light was always there. Then there's a the table of showbread where there were 12 loaves of bread representing each tribe of Israel. The priests would eat uh, this bread, uh, a picture of fellowship that uh, man has with God. We're going to talk more about that in a second. Then we have the outer court, and here we would find the uh, first in front of the tabernacle. You can kind of see it in the picture. I said it looked like a bird bath. That's the bronze laver. This is where the priest would wash and cleanse himself before ministering at the altar, as well as in the tabernacle proper itself. And oh, there it is. And then we have the, uh, the bronze altar. And this, of course, is where the sacrifices were made. And so we're going to go through each of these pieces now seeing what they are a picture of for us. God, in the tabernacles, one point we made last week, is that He's very specific in how He will be approached. He does, he's not interested in our ideas. He's not interested in our best effort. He's not interested in our sincerity. He, will, he has provided a way to be approached, and He is very specific and insistent on this, that He will be approached His way. In this, we saw that God shows His authority. And then we went on to see that God shows His authority to us in the new covenant in Christ. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. And Charlie, I think, is going into this passage today, so that's all we're going to say about it, because I'm no dummy. Now, Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, please, chapter one. I want to walk through Hebrews with a few passages. We see that God is very specific, showing his authority and how he will be approached. We have seen that it is uh, that God shows his authority in Christ. So where does Christ in his authority take the worshiper? Where does Christ in his authority take Take the worshiper. In Hebrews chapter one and verse three, the writer of the book of Hebrews to these Christian believers begins his letter. and uh, we'll look at more of uh, this in, uh, later in the class, but let's look at verse three, he begins it with this, "And he, being Christ, is the radiance of His being God. He is the radiance of His glory and the exact represent- representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So now that we've seen the tabernacle, we've seen the design of it, now we start to see some deeper understanding of what it is we have seen. So think about the tabernacle, think about the holy of holies, think about the presence of God, And now in this we find that Jesus has taken his seat at the right hand of the majesty on high. He has taken his seat in the very presence of God in the place of authority. Now go to chapter 4 of Hebrews and look at verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Now this would take a long, you know, it'd take a long time to talk through all this. But just to cut to it, when we said when he says has passed through the heavens, think about the tabernacle, passing through the into the holy place or yeah into the holy place with a golden lampstand, with the table of showbread, with a golden altar of incense through the veil. Having passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are, yet without sin. So he is one of authority. Now, what is our response to this authority? Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Go to chapter 6, verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 8. And whoever's controlling the sound, if that's in here or out there, could you turn the highs down a little bit? Not the volume, but the highs down a little bit. We're in chapter 8, right? Okay, verse 1. Now, the main point in what has been said is this. Don't you wish every book of the Bible had that statement? (laughs) We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty In the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle for see he says that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain so this tabernacle is a replica of what is is what of what is in heaven and then Go to chapter 9 of Hebrews, beginning in verse 1. Now, this this chapter is interesting because what's happening here is he's very quickly laying out the furniture as it would appear on the Day of Atonement. So that was the one day a year where specific sacrifices were made. The first sacrifice would be the sacrifice of the bull. That sacrifice would be for the high priest and his family. He would take the blood from that bull, go into the holy place, through the veil, into the holy of holies, and there sprinkle the blood onto the mercy seat. Then he would come back out and he would make a second sacrifice. This one would be with a goat. And that goat was sacrificed for the sins of the whole nation. He again would take the blood, go into the holy of holies, and there sprinkle the blood onto the mercy seat for the whole nation. Then he would go back out. There's a third sacrifice. This one was not one that would be sacrificed on the altar, but his hands would be placed on the what they called a scapegoat. So a picture of placing the sin of the nation onto the goat, and then the goat is led off into the wilderness, never to return to the camp again. So that's the Day of Atonement, and this is what he's describing here in the placing of the furniture. So in verse 1, Now even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one, in which where the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread, this is called the holy place. Behind the second veil there was a tabernacle which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense. Now that's caused some argument. Why is the golden altar of incense found behind the veil instead of in front of the veil? There's different theories on it. You know, what's going on? Maybe, that, maybe we're wrong in how we interpret the, the Old Covenant and that actually was always in there. I don't think so. Some people think, well, because of the Day of Atonement, they brought it in just for that day. Others think, no, what, was ha- what happened is they, they took some of the incense from the golden altar and then went into the Holy of Holies with that incense. It, it it doesn't bother me. I mean, somehow, somehow the incense is burning in there on this day. So anyway, so there's how it's laid out. And verse five. And above it, okay, uh, where did I leave off? Verse four. Having a golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which budded and the and the tablets of the covenant. We're going to talk about that. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. But of, the, of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacles of the holy place performing the divine worship. But into the sacred, the Holy of Holies, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. Now, listen to this. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make, this is key now, cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. So the problem with the old covenant is not the covenant. (laughs) It's not the law. The problem with the old covenant is me because it's dependent upon me. My conscience is not clean because what? There is is a continual reminder that you're not right, you're not right, you're not right. You got to do something, you got to do something, you got to do something. Every year, we got to do something. Conscience is not clean. Verse 10, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Ready? Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve a living God. So what we find from this passage is that in the old, there's a constant reminder there's no clean conscience. But in the new, there's a clean conscience. So what do we learn from this? If we are constantly saying to ourselves, I've got to try harder. I've got to do more. I have to figure this out. I'm not being right. I keep failing. I'm miserable. This is not how I'm supposed to be. That is not the Lord. That is you. That is you demanding of you what never could be. It's you demanding of you to accomplish what Christ already has. Our clean conscience. Is found in Christ. It will never be found in you. And so, chapter ten, verse nineteen. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence. Now, now wait a minute. Where's our confidence? We just talked about it. See, we have a battle with the flesh, and we fail daily. So we prove daily that our confidence is not found in me. But this says, since we have confidence, this is written to believers, people who have placed their faith in Christ. Where is their confidence? We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, ready, that is his flesh. And since we have A great priest over the house of God here's our confidence our confidence is Christ and because of this let us draw near now think about the tabernacle think about the picture that God's giving us let us draw near let us draw near to our God let us enter into his very presence let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so the book of Hebrews gives us a pretty good synopsis, gives us an overview of the tabernacle, the meanings behind it. And so now what I would like for us to do is to start from outside and go in looking again at each piece of furniture and what Scripture tells us of Jesus as we look at each piece of furniture. Okay, so, I don't know how this is going to happen. You guys have got to get tired of hearing that. Okay, well, let's see what happens. Out to end. So the first thing that they would see, what, what's the first thing that would be seen as the worshiper enters into the tabernacle, as he enters into the outer court? From the camp into the outer court. What would be the first thing that Esau? Do you remember? Animals. Okay, he would see animals. But which piece of furniture? The bronze altar. Right, the bronze altar. He'd see the bronze altar first. Now, what do we know about the altar? Well, there's a lot of blood required for this altar. There, sacrifices were made here. And as we think about sacrifice, let's think about Christ. Let's think about the perfect sacrifice of Christ and what is shown to us as he demonstrates a living sacrifice well first of all he was willing wasn't he in Luke chapter 22 and verse 42 it says this father if you are willing remove this cup from me yet not my will but yours be done a willing sacrifice how do you go to worship. And I'm not just talking about when you come to church. How do you go to worship? Uh, I don't know if I told you this last week or if it was on the podcast, but Bob Hobson, one of our former guest lecturers who's now with the Lord, he used to say every day i jump out of bed and drop dead. God, this is your life and your day. Where are we going? Do we understand what worship is not a 20 for a real spiritual 30 minute time before Charlie preaches do we understand what worship is do we go to worship expecting to give or to take christ was a sacrifice. First Peter one eighteen, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, no defect, priceless, the blood of Christ. If this is true of Jesus, should it not be true of us? Romans 12, 1, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Right away, we're reminded of Jesus as we walk into the tabernacle. If there's going to be any further progress... If there's going to be any further journey then there must be sacrifice. And it is costly, not convenient. This is the sacrifice of Christ. Therefore should be seen in us if he lives in us. Now after the sacrifice, then what comes? Do you remember The laver, the bird bath, the bronze laver. Here is where the, again, the priest would wash himself before serving at the altar and before entering into the holy place. Jesus, being with his disciples in the upper room before he is arrested, does something interesting. He gets up from the table. And he takes the position and the activity of a servant. And what does he do with his disciples? He washes their feet. But when he gets to Peter, Peter says, oh, no. But Jesus responds in John 13, 8, when Peter says, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus said to him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. In 1 Corinthians, verses, verse six, uh, chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, we read, Are Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what hope do we have? Such were some of you but what's different you were washed but you were sanctified but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God we see in the labor the picture of the cleansing of Christ which is necessary if we're to enter in. And as we enter into the holy place, there's three pieces of furniture. One would be the golden lampstand. So the light that the priest would make sure was always, each bulb there at the end of each um, stem would be filled with oil. And so his job was to make sure that there was Always oil in the lamp. In Acts chapter 26, in verse 23, we read this, that the Christ was to suffer and that by reason of his suffering, uh, resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light, both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And then in 2 Corinthians 4 and 6, we read this, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, verse 6, for a God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone, the, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's almost like one person wrote the Bible and just could not talk about anything else. You know, when you, I told you that I got to go into a, a replica of the tabernacle. And something about the covering of the tabernacle is that it's very dense. You walk in there, and that flap closes, and it would be Very dark. But there was light. There was light that filled the tabernacle. The candlestick did not have inerrant light. It was only the bearer of the light. It only had the light, but the oil gave the light. And so you and I are not the light. Jesus Christ is the light. And we simply receive and give out the light. Maybe Simpson says it like this. This is the secret of all holiness. We are not light ourselves, and we are not expected to have light in our persons, but we have Jesus and show Him forth. He is the light that shines from our eyes and our manners and our tones. This being the case then, what we read in Matthew 5 verse 16 really is amplified. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let Christ shine. As you go about your daily activities by faith in Him, trusting Him for what He has you to put your hands to. Then also in the holy place, we come to the table of showbread. Again, 12 pieces are 12 loaves of bread, each representing the tribes of Israel. and the high priest again eating that bread, showing the fellowship that God has with man. An interesting passage in the book of Revelation that we misuse so often is found in Revelation 3, verse 20. We use it so much for evangelism, but that's not the context of the passage. In this context, Jesus is addressing different churches. Not unbelievers, but believers. And with that context, we read this. Jesus says, But I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door he's talking to the believer I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me this is Christ's desire to be in fellowship you know what what's one of the most intimate things that we do with one another you know it is but to sit down and have a meal last night several of us got together in Fredericksburg to celebrate Bill Bushhouse's birthday. And the, Bill just wanted to, for his birthday, he just wanted to get together with some old friends and eat. And we had a great time together. You know, all laughing about how old we're getting, figuring out who's the oldest, that would be Bill. Who's the youngest, that would be Arlene. And then they start comparing, going down the list, and thank the Lord we stopped it, but we started comparing all the aches and pains and surgeries. and <laughs> A wonderful time together, around the table, sharing a meal. Now, just a snapshot, just an inkling of understanding of what God desires with us in Christ. To come, sit down and eat with Him. Then, also in the holy place, we find the golden altar of incense. I appreciate J. Vernon McGee pointing out that this is not an altar of sacrifice, but scripture tells us clearly it is an altar of intercession. The altar we will find again represents Christ as our intercessor. In Psalm 141, verse 1, David says this, O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be counted an incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. This prayer. And then we go to the book of Revelation, and here we read in chapter 8, verse 3, Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. This prayer, what do we find out about Christ regarding this prayer? Incense, this prayer, this intercession, well, back in Hebrews 7, verse 25, therefore he, Christ, is able also to save forever those who draw near to God. Now see the picture we have in the tabernacle of drawing near, drawing near through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. In chapter 3 and verse 1 of Hebrews we're encouraged to consider Jesus the apostle and pre- high priest. He is the apostle, he's God's representative to man, he's the high priest man's representative to God. What an incredible thing. Where we find that we are in fellowship because of the we are in fellowship with God because of the ministry of Christ. Christ Is interceding. Right now, despite our failures, our mess ups every day, we are in fellowship with God because of the intercession ministry of Jesus Christ. So we need to learn to live in what is true. Despite you, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you are being represented right now. God's very presence man can only go to God through the veil that which separated the very presence of God from the nation in Matthew chapter 27 Verses 50 and 51, we read this. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Fifteen feet tall. Torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. We're given a little bit more understanding In Hebrews 10 19 and 20 that we've already read therefore brethren since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is remember now is torn from top to bottom his flesh we see that the way has been made for us to enter into his presence now His presence is found where? It's found in the Holy of Holies. The place where man came into the very physical presence of God once a year, according to Leviticus 16. I explained this to you. This is the Day of Atonement with the sacrifices made, with the the bull and then the goat. And the blood is sprinkled over the mercy seat. Now, do you see the picture that's given to us? We've been given a way by which we can enter into the very presence of God, where we can fellowship with Him. But what was necessary? What was God's way? What is the picture that's shown to us? Before man could enter the Holy of Holies into the very presence of God, he had to go by way of the altar. The necessity of the shedding of blood of death. He had to go by way of the laver. The necessity of being clean. He had to go by way of the candlestick. There must be the light. Or we're trapped in the darkness, groping. There must be the the table of showbread. There must be the fellowship. By way of the incense, there must be the representation. There must be the intercession. By way of the veil, the obstacle must be removed. All six being a picture of Christ, and the same is true of what is found in the Holy of Holies. We find Christ there. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. As we enter into the Holy of Holies, there we find the Ark of the Covenant. And I think I'm going to make an executive decision here for next week. And I'm going to finish it next week. We've come up to the Holy of Holies. We've come up to entering into the very presence of God. And we find that Christ has made that way a reality for us. God will be approached. He desires to be approached. He created us for that. But if it's going to be, it's going to be His way. And His way is Jesus. For the non-believer, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, Colossians 2 6. So walk in Him for the believer. Any thoughts in these last five minutes? Yes, sir? I want to read chapter 10, verses
1: 11 through
0: 14. And that's in what book? Okay. Chapter 11.
1: Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Christ, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Now get this, because by one sacrifice, he has made he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Hmm. One of my very favorite passages in all of the Bible, and I refer to it all He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's anyone who has been born again.
0: It is, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Anybody else? Yeah, keep going.
2: The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. for after, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, the Lord says. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Hmm. Can you repeat those two quotes?
0: Yes, both of them are... You've got them both out of uh, chapter 8, is it? 10. Out of chapter 10. Okay, Okay, what were they again? I'm sorry. 11 to 18? Okay, chapter 10 of Hebrews, 11 to 18. And that remembering our sin no more. Oh, my goodness.
2: So I think that's why the significance, at least the way I look at it, the significance of the altar prior to the, the labor, right? So... I look at it like in, in Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan says, you know, Christ is the gate. He's mm. the way in. Right? You can't you don't get cleaned up and then go to the altar. Right. You go to the altar and then you get cleaned wow. up. You know? Yeah. And I, I I find that picture very you know,
0: Yeah, really. Yeah. Yes.
2: I, I'm reluctant to share this
1: because I haven't thought it through nor have I studied it, but it's as I was listening, it's a thought that I had. And that is the altar could be justification and or our salvation. Mm-hmm. And the labor seems to be sanctification. Oh, that's, that's
0: a really yeah. good observation, yeah.
1: Cleansing from yeah. sin. Yeah. And then when we get inside, those things seem to have to do with abiding. Oh. And abiding yeah. is talked about in John 15. But right. things you have to do to abide in Christ. And I think the things inside are what you need to do to abide with Christ. But Like I said, I hadn't thought it through.
0: No, I think it's a good observation, something to think on. Appreciate it. Anybody else? I appreciate you guys just sitting there letting me work through all of this. I know that's not natural for you. You You like to talk. And so I appreciate the discipline with that. But I do appreciate your comments very much, though. It's not that I don't want to hear from you. It's just I didn't want to hear from you today.
2: <laughs>
0: no, kidding. All right. Well, let's pray, and then we can move on. Kevin, would you lead us, please?
2: Sure. Father, I thank you so much that you have provided the way for us into a relationship with, with you, and that you have redeemed us and bought us back and brought us into that close relationship uh, with you, intimate, close relationship with you. And I ask that you would... Uh, continue to grow us. Continue to sanctify us. Continue to wash us. Continue to make us more and more like Christ. I ask that you would bless uh, Charlie's sermon today, and uh, I ask, I thank you for for uh, uh, your Word and, and for how you uh, make it so clear to us. Uh, uh, in Jesus' name, I pray.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank y'all.